I'm guessing that that song was written by somebody who's been through some things in life. He is our treasure, but the way we're made and kind of our bent rather is uh, we don't realize what a treasure he is until all the other ones have been proven to be so untrustworthy. We try to satisfy our souls in a thousand other places, but they are satisfied in him alone. Um, and it's good of God when he reveals that to us. But again, oftentimes that's, that's done through hardship and disappointment. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to read God's word together from Matthew chapter 6 as we're in a series of sermons entitled Learning to Pray from Jesus. If you can learn to do anything in life, learn to pray. And if anybody is going to teach you to pray, the best one is, of course, Jesus. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together now. We pray this, Father, that your name would be hallowed. All sorts of names are hallowed among us in this day in which we live. Money and celebrity and athletic achievement, success, all those names are hallowed. But God, we're asking for grace that above all things we would hallow the name of the Lord, our Father in heaven, and that it would be your kingdom. We are prone to building up our little sandcastle kingdoms all the days of our lives. And that's fleeting and futile. We're asking for help that we would be a people who really desire for your kingdom to advance and your will to be done. Help this time to be profitable in the Lord as we study the word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. Uh, About the best thing I have going in my life right now is that my little girl who turned six months old this week, she loves me. She just does. I'm not sure that I've really done anything to deserve it. But it's about the best thing I have going that I'll enter the room. And y'all, this is crazy. She just lights up. When she hears my voice, her eyes get big. And especially, especially the first time we're together in the morning. It's, my, it's about my favorite time of the day. Because I walk in and I say, hey, Jenna, Daddy loves you. And she just, whatever she's doing, she stops. And she looks at me. And for a few moments, like eight seconds, I have her undivided attention until little toy or whatever it is that grabs her attention from from there. I have some other children, and I love all my children, but there's some children that right now, this kind of the season of life, I walk in the room, and they basically don't notice. Say, if somebody just walked in the room, they they don't look up. They don't look up from the book they're reading or what they're doing. It's just, okay, well, there's, there's Daddy. And then we just opened up our Bibles, just asking you this. Which disposition, as you open up your Bible and begin to read, matches you? That you are grateful to hear from your father or kind of, kind of bored with it. Yeah, it's the Lord's Prayer and I know it, but I kind of read it before. Now, this, this, is, this is what happens in our life. The most precious things, especially we who are so blessed to have such access to the Word of God, familiarity sometimes 
leads to you not appreciating how precious it is that we have access. We can hear from Him. The Bible is God speaking. Amen? So we've opened, and, and we're going to get to this phrase and really emphasize, your will be done. And if you've got the sermon outline, or I think it's on the screen, word scramble. I know when you read it, it didn't make any sense. Life, God's for, will, my. What we want to do is spend a few minutes thinking together through how do you put those words together, because there's a really common way that's done that I think is off course, and then there's a godly way that you've Put those words together. That'll be a great help for your life so that you'll live for things that will really outlast you and you'll leverage your life for a kingdom that lasts, the eternal kingdom of the Lord. So what we're trying to do by by God's grace in these days is move prayer out of the category of things we think we should do and move it into the category of the things that we will do because we want to. Then I'll just ask you this past week, when it comes to your prayer life, what did that look like? And what was that, how was that lived out? Prayer is one of those things, isn't it? It's something we know we all should do. Friends, you'll never be guilted into a healthy prayer life. But praise God Almighty, you can be graced into a healthy prayer life. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Second Corinthians, our fighter verse, right? The power of God is made not better perfect in our weakness. So can we say this together? When it comes to prayer, we are so weak. So weak. Have you noticed that? I think it's Martin Lloyd-Jones. I quote him about every other Sunday on this. Nobody talks to you more than you. Kind of have an ongoing internal dialogue all the time, right? Nobody talks to you about you more than you. It's just always happening. Here's what I got to do this week. And I can't believe he said that. And I da, 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 da. And it's always. So, what prayer is, is learning to stop talking to yourself and begin to talk to God, to invite Him into your life. Because nobody talks to yourself more than you. And truthfully, nobody lies to yourself more than you. So, we need God to come into our life to, to help us. Because the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you read it this way, it's pretty confrontational to the direction that you go apart from Him. You don't hallow anybody's name like you hallow your name. You don't care about any kingdom more than you care about your kingdom. And you don't want any will to be done quite like you want your will to be done. And do you see how this turns everything upside down? That it's his name, his kingdom, his will to be done. And we're weak when it comes to prayer. But, but man, let's see that prayer is not a dull duty, but the greatest privilege that we have. I, I do want to, by way of reminder, uh, say we're here in Matthew 6. If you'll turn with me, in my Bible, I have to turn a page to Matthew chapter 4. I just want to get the order right. Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by the, the devil here. Again, we studied this last week, talking about kingdoms. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 9, again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So there are kingdoms in the world, and they do have a measure of glory. That's why we're drawn to them. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So there are kingdoms in the world. They do have a measure of glory. 
but they do demand you. The price tag is you. If you will bow down and worship, I'll give them to you. But do you see, as soon as you bow down and worship, you've forfeited something of greater value than whatever it is that you'd ever get back. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The wealthiest, most powerful, most influential person on the planet will be that for a very brief period of time. For all the glory that was given to that person, it'll be over like that. And he forfeited soul. Jesus is the king of a better kingdom. In verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 19, he said to them, his followers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Different kingdom, you're not in it. To get in it, you need to repent and follow me. So again, just want to continue to bring that before us, that there's an order to this. You repent to follow him. Some people spend their whole life trying to follow Jesus, but they've never repented, meaning they want to follow Jesus while they live for the kingdoms of the world. Man, that's so frustrating to try to live like that. Repentance means I don't live for the kingdoms of the world or their glory anymore, so I'm going to follow him. And then we're just still tracking together. Chapter 5, hey, Jesus is going to go up on a mountain as well and talk about a kingdom. So chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So I want you to see that there's a contrast between the crowds and the disciples. Uh, To to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to step out from the crowd. And in verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. Who is the them? The them is the disciples who've left behind the crowds and their kingdoms to follow Jesus, right? So all the Sermon on the Mount, now the crowds might listen in, but it's not for them. Here's a little bit of liberating news. God has no expectation that you live according to the kingdom of God when you don't belong to the kingdom of God. It's not just that there's no expectation that you would. The Bible says you can't. Those who live according to the flesh do not submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you can be freed up from having any expectation of those who don't know Jesus will live as if they do. They don't, and they can't. But do you? And then that brings us to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. All, all these chapters, chapters 5, 6, and 7, is about life lived in the kingdom of God. And then we'll unscramble these words a certain way. Now, if you live for the kingdom of the world, but kind of think that you're following Jesus, you'll often unscramble the words this way. So here's where we'll start. We often ask this question. What is God's will for my life? So let's put that up on the screen. I think that's our first, uh, first point. We often ask this question. What is God's will for my life? Now, at first, he said, that's, that's, not a, that's not a terrible question. It's a pretty good question. You probably asked that question, right? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have asked that question? I know I have. What is God's will for, for my life? Do you, do you know what's often a producer of huge amounts of stress in life? Trying to answer the, answer the question, what am I supposed to do next? What am I supposed to do now? What, what, hap- what happens next? And at our house, I mean, we got, we got all sorts of great things going on. Oldest child's a senior in high school. She's decided on college. Where do I go? Where do I apply? Why do I study? Those are important decisions. You're probably facing important decisions right now. Who is it that I should marry? 
Should I take that job promotion? It, it, it would require us to move out of town. And, and we think of kind of finding God's will in terms of unlocking a mystery. How many of you have ever done an escape room? Are they still popular? I know a couple of years ago it was kind of a thing. You go to an escape room, and I, I've done a couple. One of my children had a birthday, I think, when Abel turned 12. We went to the escape room in Raleigh. And what an escape room is, is you go into a room and then try to escape. I, I bet you didn't know that part, right? You try to escape. So they, they lock you in the room, and you actually pay to do this. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? What, what a business model. You lock somebody in a room, they paid you to get in there, and then they got to get out, right? But it's for fun, so there's all sorts of different themes to them, and, and you, you, you go through a series of clues to get to the next step. So you read a little something, and then you go around the room, and maybe hidden underneath the lamp is another little clue, and then together, with, as a team, you try to unlock the mystery, and if you unlock the mystery in a certain amount of time, you usually got about an hour, maybe. Sometimes you get stuck. Say, man, we've been over this. We've been talking about this for the last 10 minutes. We're not making any progress. So you know what they did? They put a little button on the wall. And if you just flat out, you have no idea, you can buzz the person who works there. They'll come in, open the door, and say, where are you? And then they'll give you a little hint so that you can continue. And friends, I think that's what most people think the Christian life is like. It's kind of got stuck. Here's what prayer is. I'm, I'm stuck. God, give me just a little guidance to get me to the next clue. Because you're sitting up there in heaven seeing if I can figure this out. And friends, that's not how God is. He's not putting you to a test. Can you figure this out in the amount of time that you have on earth? That, that, that's not really who he is. He's, that's not, his God, it, God's will is not some mystery. We, we kind of think, I need to find God's will so I can avoid disaster. Or find God's will so I can achieve my dreams. That at the end of the rainbow of God's will is a nice house, a comfortable life, well-behaved children who do exactly what I ask them to do exactly when I ask them. Friends, is that the Christian life? Would, would that kind of thinking make any sense to the Apostle Paul and how he lived his life? Because if that's the Christian life, then Paul has wasted his life. So he gets to the end of his life and he's got nothing except hardship after hardship after hardship. No, that's not the Christian life. That's the Christianized-ish life. Of here's the life I wanted to live anyway, so God, will you give him a blessing on top of the life that I wanted to live? Because it's still about my name, my kingdom, my will. Friends, that's not God's will for your life. That's your will for your life. And we just want God to sign his name to it. We, we, we kind of, in our sinful nature, want minimal hardship, minimal demands from God with everlasting life at the end. The disciples that Jesus teach this prayer to, most all of them are killed for their faith. Most all of them are. So, so, so when we're talking about when he sat down, his disciples came to him. In a manner of speaking, they're coming out from the crowds, yes, 
But they're also coming out from around, from among those who are going to persecute them. I saw a story this week about a couple. I think I got a picture. Do we have a picture we can put on the screen? I'll tell you about them. That's Liam, everybody. Young man on the knee. You know what he's doing, don't you? Now, uh, Alyssa is the young lady. She didn't have any idea this was coming, right? I think it's kind of the way things are done now, that uh, you want a picture of this moment, right? So she thinks they're just hiking up the mountain. He's enlisted a friend. I guess the friend's stealthy. I don't know how you pull this off. Like, who is this person with a camera following? I don't, I don't know. They, they figured it out. Liam seems like he knew what he was doing. So he's going, but he wants a picture of the moment when he asks uh, uh, Lisa to be his wife. I read about them this week. They're up in Canada. And, and the only reason I know anything about it is she said yes. And then the photographer took another picture. Check that one out. Boom. Lightning strike. Will you marry me? Yes. Hug. Boom. That's kind of what we want, isn't it? Lightning strike from heaven. Give me a sign. Now, here's what I thought. Okay, if that's a sign, you, is it you made a good decision or you should run away from this guy as fast as you can? I don't know. Like... Even if you get a sign, okay, got a sign, what does the sign mean? Marry him or run for your life? I, I, I don't know. Listen to me. Listen to me. God doesn't need to send you a sign when he's already sent you his son. God doesn't need to send you a sign when he has already sent you his son. Wouldn't it be nice if, if God just spoke to us like we see street signs while we're driving? Red light, yellow light, yield, green, go. But sometimes life feels like driving from Rocky Mount to Nashville. It's just one roundabout after another. So we often unscramble and say, what is God's will for my life? But God is not a life coach. He's the king. He's God. We, we need to see him in, as he is, a king and lord and savior. And, and we move respectfully from asking the rather self-centered question of, of what is God's will for my life. And instead make this declaration, my life for God's will. That's how you would want to unscramble the words. It's not, it's not what is God's will for my life. How many earths, planet earths, fit into the sun? Do you know? How many planet Earths would fit into the sun? I didn't know either. I didn't know. I had to Google it. 1.3 million. 1.3 million Earths fit into the sun. Don't you think it would be a foolish question to say, let's fit the sun into the Earth? Say, it's so much bigger. God's will is so much bigger than just your life. So we want to stop saying, how can you fit your eternal, glorious, everlasting purpose into the size of my life and instead say, how can I leverage my life into your will? Does that make sense? And move it from being a rather respectfully self-centered sort of 
God, I'll follow you to the extent that you're kind of checking the boxes of my life and I'm moving in the progress, which is really the progression of the kingdoms of the world, and that's how I'm marking progress. Man, if Paul marked progress that way, he'd say, I'm on the wrong path. God is not waiting for us to unlock a mystery. He's already told us. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to die for your sin. I've come to build a different kingdom. So maybe the best place to start is, remember we've been talking that God's building a people more than he's just building a single person. So what is God's will? Well, I want us to look at two New Testament passages where he just tells you. Here's my will, right? So let's go, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Most of, um, most of our asking God, God, what's your will for my life, are, are in line with things to do. Like what school to go to, what job to have, what, uh, you know, person to ask out on a date. And, and in no way, shape, or form am I at all suggesting that those things aren't important to God. They are. This question, though, my life or God's will, doesn't begin with things to do. It actually begins with things to become. Does that make sense? So, do I go to college A or college B? I am suggesting to you that I think God, it's more important to him what kind of person you are who shows up on that campus than in the specificity of the campus. Because if you're not going to be light, if, if you're not going to love your neighbor as yourself, if you're not going to be living out the principles of the kingdom of God, there's nowhere he can really plant you and you be fruitful. So Ephesians chapter 5, oh, this is another one of those chapters. It's hard to pick where to begin. How about this? Let's, let's just look down here um, in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see it right there, right on the page. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So you see the therefore? If you're a student of the Bible, what does the therefore indicate? Rewind the tape so now we can talk about it. Verse 3. Well, mercy. Verse 1. <laughs> Ephesians 1, verse 1. No, okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. You're loved by God. He's not putting up with you, right? He's not annoyed by your presence and the sound of your voice. You're his beloved child if you're a follower of Jesus. So walk in love. What's God's will for your life? That you'd walk in love, that you'd imitate him, that you'd know how loved you are. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What's God's will for your life? That you're a giver, not a taker. That you give to other people and don't take from them. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Man, we, we live in this strange generation that wants to kind of get as close as we can to the line of sexual immorality without crossing it. That's not what the Bible says. It says you don't even need to talk about it. You don't need to be entertained by it. 
You don't need to give hours of your heart and soul and mind to it. Because guess what? If you do that, it'll, it'll take you. It's got you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk. Well, let me rewind for a moment. It can get you, but you can get out. I just felt like the Lord was saying, you didn't finish that sentence. Amen. <laughs> there isn't any hole you're in that God can't get you out of. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. We call those comedies today. He says, let not have any of that. Which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's interesting, because we wouldn't put those two things together. Right? I mean, really, we do live in a generation where most of our entertainment is those things. But what Paul says is when there's filthiness and foolish talk or crude joking, you're going to quickly notice a lack of thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? What's God's will for your life? That you'd be a thankful person. That on Monday morning when you show up to work, your disposition isn't this, another work week. But your disposition is gratitude, thanksgiving. I mean, you should be a thankful person if you've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of your beloved son. Now, I will tell you, you won't be a thankful person if you're living for the kingdoms of the world and asking God to bless that. No. No, he blesses his kingdom, right? Amen? So, so you be a, be a person of thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance. What? In what? In the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes against the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is, becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now he's going to give us a metaphor. We'll talk about it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so a couple things real quick. L- last point we'll make in and, and base them on the verses we just read and ones we'll read in just a minute, is instead of asking, how does God lead us? Let's ask, who is it that God leads? Does that make sense? Well, I was saying don't ask how. How is by his spirit and through his word and from being a part of his people. That's, that's how he leads us. But I want you to focus on this morning is, who is it that God leads? Or another way of asking is, it, are you leadable? Are you leadable? You remember what Jesus said, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And friends, nothing will wear you out faster than trying to build a kingdom of the world in Jesus' name. Nothing is more taxing than that. Because you're just never at home anywhere. You know what I mean? If you're not being replenished by the joy of the Lord, you're probably heading in the wrong direction because come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
It's the second time we've heard that word today, rest. Heard in the fighter verse, and his power will rest upon you. Rest upon you. The state of your soul this morning at rest. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is, don't you? Uh, yoke is when they would take two oxen. The ox are going to plow a field, right? And they'd yoke the weaker to the stronger. So what happens, what happens is uh, the, the weaker ox starts to uh, walk in line with the stronger. Now, that's what Jesus is saying. You yoke your life to me. You're going to find rest. Some of us, we, we're yoked to him, but we keep saying, I want to pull this way, Right? That's what Jesus said to Paul. Man, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? God's trying to direct him, and Paul keeps kicking against, kicking against it. I want to go this way. I want to go this way. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, you're going to be a person in the kingdom of God who's praying, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done. It will be going on your whole life that you'll fight in your sin nature for your name and your kingdom. So you got to keep living in the Spirit. And Paul just gave an ungodly practice to uh, teach us about a godly practice. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So, a person becomes drunk with wine when they drink too much wine. And the alcohol takes over, right? I've been, I've been in places uh, where somebody says something and they say, no, 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 don't, don't pay attention to what he's saying. That's just the drink talking, right? You've heard statements like that. And, and then the, the drink that comes from the outside goes in the inside and starts changing patterns of speech, moods dispositions, ability to walk. That's why we have laws, right? I mean, you can't drink a certain amount and then go get behind a car and drive because you become dangerous. Now, question. When someone becomes drunk, do they stay drunk the rest of their life? No. They sober up. What is he saying about being filled by the Spirit? That's ongoing as well. Theoretically, to stay drunk, you'd have to keep drinking. To stay filled up with the Spirit, you have to keep. In fact, the problem of the passage is it's, it's actually written in the original language in a way that we don't speak in English. It's really saying, but be being filled with the Spirit. Something from outside of you has come inside of you, and now it's changing the way that you think, changing the way that you speak, changing the way that you walk. Walk as wise. The only way to walk wise is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you'll sing. You'll make melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then God would say, I believe he'd say, maybe their perspective is, if you've got someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, All those, what's God's will for my life kind of questions we ask. What direction you walk in. You're a certain kind of person. Does that make sense? 
I don't have time this morning to go to Psalm 25, but, but man, if it's on your heart that you want to know who it is that God leads, Psalm 25, maybe we'll do that next week. It describes the kind of person God leads. We'll do one more passage, 1 Thessalonians. So if you're in Ephesians, turn to the left, a couple of books in the Bible, and you'll get to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. You ever say, man, I just wish God would just say, here's my will for your life. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What's God's will for your life? That you grow in obedience. For you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because as the Lord has avenged all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you so let's end here for today and then we're going to worship and celebrate the Lord Jesus in communion together. God's will for my life, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, is for me to be sanctified. It's God's will for my life. I didn't hear anybody say, Hallelujah! What does that mean? Sanctified. God's will for your life is that you be sanctified. What does that mean? It means that you'd be holy. It means that you'd become more like Jesus. It means that the priorities in the kingdom of God become your actual like desires. Your, your heart is transformed and shaped. Now, now sanctification is a process. Justification, being declared not guilty for my sin, that's in a moment. Sanctification is for the rest of your life. So, we'll close with this. you got some serious decisions to make in life. Where to work, who to marry, where to go to school, so on and so forth. If we take what God says here in His Word, then, then just think it out with me. When you're making a decision, think about it this way. Will this make me more holy? Will this make me more holy? If I decide this and I go there, will it make me more holy? What, what, what is more important to me as I'm making the decision? My comfort or His glory? And, and sanctification, by the way, just so we keep this before us, your sanctification, that is plural. Y'all's sanctification. So, when you're making the decision, who besides me will be blessed by this? And whose name will be hallowed? by this. Just helpful questions to ask, right? Will this make me more holy? What's more important to me as I'm trying to measure or make this decision, my comfort or his glory? 
Who besides me will be blessed by this? Whose name will be hallowed by this? I do think those are questions that you can ask Paul at the end of his life and then we'll go back and say this is why he made the decisions that he, he made. Because you're not in an escape room trying to get out. It's for freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Practically speaking, here's what I encourage you to do this week. Um, to take a step. Take a step in, uh, in your prayer life. So wherever you are right now, if you say, I'm not regularly praying, set aside 15, 10, 15 minutes in the morning. Sometime, maybe it's your drive to work. And instead of listening to that podcast, just turn that off and say, I'm going to spend this time praying. I'm going to pray. And so, so one, set aside a specific time that you are praying. And then number two, take a step in praying with people. Just four people. You always want to do that. Take a step of praying with people. Taking your children to school in the morning. Pray with them. Husbands, before you uh, do whatever it is you're going to do tomorrow, take your wife, put your arm around, and say, we're going to pray with one another. Don't just uh, tell your kids at night, go to bed. Get down on your knees. Pray together. Prayer is inviting God into the regularity, if that's the right way of saying it, of, of your day, that will hallow his name, will have hearts set on his kingdom uh, and, and his will. So let's stand together. We're, we are going to pray together. And we'll have a time of response. And um, we are going to celebrate communion together. So maybe you came in and you didn't get the um, items you need for communion. You can use this time to slip out. We're all friendly people. If you need to step past somebody, that'll be fine. If you've got to get your communion, I didn't grab mine either. So I'm right at the front of that line. So I'll get mine too. And we'll celebrate the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus together. We're going to sing. And uh, we invite the Holy Spirit to give direction in a moment of response. So would you bow your heads and now pray with me. You'll never, you'll never be guilted into God-honoring prayer, but you can be graced into God-honoring prayer. Is prayer right now for you something you think you should do or something that you want to do? If it's something you feel like you should do, ask God to help you. His strength is made perfect in weakness. God starts to work where you say you need help. Your life right now, is it about your kingdom and will or his. And if you're in a season of life and you say, Lord, I would confess to you that most of my time is spent thinking about my own kingdom. God will help you. It might joy if you've got a burden, a concern on your heart this morning. I'll stand here at the front. We'll pray together. Seek the Lord together. And then we'll continue to worship. Father, there's all sorts of ways that we're weak. We're especially weak when it comes to prayer. We're so self-reliant. So self-reliant. Often, even in our churches, we think that we can come up with uh, programs and plans that need your help. So, Father, where we're walking as unwise and not as wise, reveal that. 
where we're not being filled with the Spirit. Reveal it and use this time for our good and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.